Hi everyone, welcome to the A to Z Movie Show. I'm Charlie Azizla, your average movie guy. Oh, you sound so miserable to be here. I'm AJ Beltis, your aspiring movie critic. What are you talking about? I'm talking normal. This is how I talk. No, no, no zing nor pep today, Charlie. I thought I had a lot of zing and pep. Well, let's talk about some movie characters that have neither zing nor pep. And those are the movie characters in the movie Drive. Today we're going to be reviewing that, uh, but before we get to that... Let's talk about how you can help the show get a bigger audience. Uh, Guys, if you are on your phone, please take two seconds. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Give us a quick rating, whatever that might be. Um, And I know you can keep playing this podcast while you exit the app, so make sure you do that. Go follow us on Twitter. We are at the A to Z Movie Show and would appreciate a follow and some engagement from you guys. Absolutely. If you have anything to say to us, be it comments, criticism, questions, remarks, whatever it is, um, email us at the A to Z movie show at gmail.com. Or you can comment on whatever platform you're listening on, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever it is. Um, definitely leave a comment. We will reply to you. And we definitely want to up the user engagement here for sure. So let Before us know your thoughts. Before we jump into this 2011 criminally underrated crime film, Charlie, my good sir, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, I took my first sip. Um, it is Geary's IPA. So the name of the brewery is Geary's. It's in Maine. Very good. I think it's very underrated. Um, but they just call it the Geary's IPA. It's pretty good. It's a low alcohol content actually for an IPA. It's only 4.8%. But uh, if you guys are ever in Portland, Maine, uh, go check out Geary... What? Sorry, I just took a sip of mine, and that that stuff's really good, but go ahead and finish your pitch. Yeah, if you're ever in Portland, Maine, Geary's is actually near a bunch of the other breweries in Portland, Um, but it seems to be, every time I go, it seems like there aren't a lot of people there, so definitely go check it out. It's actually the oldest brewery in Portland, pretty good beer and pretty cheap, and there's always a guy there with a beard... Um, sometimes he's leaf blowing outside and they'll go inside to give you a tour when you show up. So it's a cool dude. What are you drinking today? I like the logo that's on your beer can. Yeah, I've never had it and now I'm mad because this is really good stuff. This is uh, Gunner's Daughter. Uh, it is a peanut butter, dark chocolate, and coffee stout from Mast Landing Brewing Company, also in Maine. Um, let me see what part it's in. It's in Westbrook. Do you know where that is? Not off the top of my head, no. Alright, so today we are reviewing and recapping one of the most underrated films released this decade, Drive. It's the story of an unnamed L.A. mechanic who works on the side as a stunt driver for the movies and moonlights as one of the city's most skilled and sleek getaway drivers. After getting involved with his next-door neighbor, Irene, the driver quickly finds himself entangled in her husband's world of crime, leading to a sinister and neo-noir game of cat and mouse between the driver and some of L.A.'s most ruthless crime bosses. Starring an all-star cast of Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Oscar Isaac before he was famous, Ron Perlman, and Albert Brooks, this is Drive. Uh, Charlie, this has been one of my favorite movies of, you know, of the decade that I, I keep revisiting. You know, when I think about one of the best movies that have come out in the 2010s, I think of, uh, you know, Catching Fire, I think of Mud, I think of Boyhood, I think of The Gift, I think of Gravity, Django, uh, but... Very frequently, Drive makes that list as well. So I'm just going to show my cards and say I absolutely love this film, but I'm wondering what's your initial impression having just watched it for the first time? Well, it's not the first time. I, I have watched this before, but I uh, watched it sort of in passing. I okay. wasn't paying full attention to it. 
So the first time I was, I don't want to say I was unimpressed by it, but I just wasn't engaged in it. Mm, yeah. Um, this time around, definitely paying more attention to it, of course. Um, and I actually was really impressed by it. Um, there are a lot of things in this movie that, you know, it's definitely not the movie, it's the kind of movie where you're like, you have a, it seems like an action movie when you first look at it, but you don't want to like sit there with like five guys, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. hang out and like drink beers and like talk through the movie. You want to pay attention to the movie. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, it's different from what I expected. Um, but that said, I really, I really did like the movie. I think that there's a lot of artistic success in this movie for more sure. so than I was expecting. That's actually uh, a gripe that some people had with this movie. Many people were expecting this to be more of a balls to the wall action, fast and the furious car chase heavy movie. And yeah, that's not, not that. what they got. Um, so that was, it, it led to a little bit of a bitterness in the eyes of some, but you know, in the eyes of those mm-hmm. who kind of went in with the blank slate, they, they really liked what they saw. It's not trying to be that though. No, of course not. Um, so I want to go through some of the things that I really like about this movie. Um, and then we can jump into some stories about the production and the release, and then we can kind of do our usual scene for scene, beat by beat kind of coverage of the sure. movie. I will first say though, uh, you asked where Westbrook is. It is immediately west of Portland. I believe it's the next... Uh, municipality over. It's like literally right there. Yeah, next one. Yeah. I, I want to go there again. Par- it's basically part of Portland. Good to know. Cool. Um, so things that I like, and I just sounded like Ben Shapiro. Uh, number one, the editing. You know, there's this movie has long periods of time with little or no dialogue, uh, and because of that, the story and the editing really have to know when to speed up and when to slow down when it comes to action, tension, uh, the right lighting and camera angles, and this movie is able to feel... I mean, I think it does feel its runtime. It, it is just about an hour and a half. You know, sometimes it feels shorter and then sometimes it feels longer. But it, it makes it in a way that I could totally feel welcome being in this world for a longer amount of time. That's that's how uh, I was listening to sure. Cinecast a while ago. But Jeremy Scott from the host of Cinema Sins was was saying kind of something very similar to that. It's like you can you can see yourself being in this world for longer than an hour and a half. Is that how he describes a lot of movies? No. Is that something he says? Okay. Yeah, I know, the editing for sure, that's the first thing on my pros list here. I mean, I would say that this that's the movie's biggest strong point. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, immediately, out of the gate, I don't know if it's the first scene, but the first important scene. The car uh, chase. You know, where, he's, like, where he's driving, where, you know, not the car chase, but Gosling is driving the, you know, the criminals, whoever they are. Yeah. I don't remember what they're doing, but mm-hmm. that scene, or that series of scenes, I guess, that whole part of the movie is very, very well edited. And mm-hmm. You couldn't; it wouldn't be anything spectacular at all without the editing. Um, the atmosphere, you know, again, very little dialogue, and it's it's very much carried by the atmosphere it has. You know, I, I looked up IMDb trivia for this. Carrie Mulligan summarized making this film as staring longingly at Ryan Gosling for hours each day, just because that was what they needed to do to bridge this connection between the driver and Irene. They, they didn't do dialogue; they they went this route. Right. No, there's definitely, I don't want to say a lack of dialogue because it's not, it doesn't come across as lacking anything, but mm-hmm. there is not much dialogue in this mm-hmm. movie for sure. Yeah, that's something what, I mean, when I was describing this movie to people and I'm trying to sell them on it in high school, because it came out when I was in high school, I would tell people that like there wasn't much dialogue, They're like what, nobody talks? And I'm like, no, 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 people talk. It's It's not a silent movie and it's not like it ever really feels scarce in dialogue. Like I didn't even notice it was short on dialogue until... The more I watched it. Oh, I definitely noticed it. But it's certain characters. I mean, yeah. Gosling, of course, I mean, his character is 
a man of few words. So yes. that's you know that's part of the character. You're gonna, mm-hmm. and then and then his relationship with Carrie Mulligan as well, mm-hmm. which is is interesting. I really I really do like it. Carrie Mulligan in this movie is almost like a ghost. How do you mean? It's like I don't know anything about her. You know, she's just sort of this this pawn of Gosling's character, mm-hmm. um, which might be a flaw, but uh, maybe I mean maybe she's there just to reflect Gosling's character. I don't know. Um, I, I never saw it that way. I mean, she she doesn't talk that much either, but you can totally see a lot of struggling in her, and there are a few specifics I want to get into. Uh, but you know, I think that there's I mean, she, she's definitely her own character. You know, you know it. who she is. Um, but I don't know that she has like a unique identity. She, you know, she's like the struggling single mother. I don't know if there's much more to her than that. I think you, you're going to hear me use the word subtlety a lot in this show, and I know how much you you love that word when I use that word. But there's there's a lot of subtlety in this movie, and I'll, I'll get on some of the specifics. But I think that there's more to her than meets the eye. Okay, well we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to uh, the subtlety. Uh, th- I think this movie is the very definition of subtlety in film. Uh, but that said, it knows. What about that- mud? No, I, I think mud mud ha- is subtle at points, but I think this movie is very subdued. I think maybe even a better word than subtlety. That's how you always try to sell mud. It's so subtle. But I think a prime example of this is the violence. You know, it, it's very rare, but when it happens, it's it's insane. It knows right. when to when to pack that punch. But it's not it's not just throwing violence at you nonstop no. throughout the whole movie, which is mm-hmm. something that really kills the vibe for me personally in a lot of movies. But not in this one. Not in this one. Um, I had the music on here. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, especially the the music that plays with Irene and the driver, and I think a good word to describe it would would be atmospheric. You know, it's not, like, jaunty or, or very music-heavy. It's 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 kind of, like, haunting, kind of hollow in a way. Um, yeah. And I, I like that because... Well, there's a lot of different kinds of music in this movie. But I'm talking about I the know score. what you're talking about. I mean, yes, the, yes, the, yes. the music, like, the, the songs they use are great, too. Like, the the opening, it's, it's kind of synthy. But I, I really like overall the music, but... I think my favorite part of it is the score that, that plays for the, the love theme. There's Shannon, uh, Brian Cranston. This is uh, kind of a, a small thing that I love about it, but uh, he says to Bernie at, at one point that the driver went to Belize. And in Breaking Bad, a couple of years later, Saul suggests to Walt that they send Hank on a trip to Belize when he finds out that he's Heisenberg. I call it coincidence. Probably, but I, I still think it's kind of funny. Um, and then one thing that I like and also sort of hate, uh, there will never be a sequel to Drive. Now, there was a... This is based on a book, uh, and there was also a sequel to this book called Driven that was released. But director Nicholas Wending Refn went on record, uh, says it's never going to happen. Uh, about the ending, he says, quote, it ends too imperfectly, and that's why it works. Um, so... I, I, I want more of yeah, but all of this. He doesn't but, have rights to the movie, though. Well, and I think he's saying that he'll never do it. And also, Ryan oh, Gosling is very anti-sequel. The only sequel he's ever made was um, Blade Runner 2049, but he wasn't even in the original. I mean, it sounds like this movie didn't even do well financially. No, it actually... Okay, so it made just about 70-something million dollars, which might not seem big, but it was a budget of 15. So that's considered a, a very big financial success in, okay. in indie movies. Um, oh, Okay. So, sadly, we will probably never get a Driven on film. If we do, it will likely not have either or even one of the director or the star. And I think those right. two really work so well together. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if if the same character is in Driven, I don't know. I haven't read the books. I didn't even know there were books. Mm-hmm. If it's the same character in Driven as it is in, in Drive, I mean, you can't 
have that. I mean, Gosling makes the whole movie, so... Yeah, Gosling makes the movie for sure. Um, but, I mean, it's definitely a team effort. I think the cinematographers, the composer Cliff Martinez, the Wending Refn does, does a great job, too. And, you know, if you lose one of them, particularly Refn or, uh, or Gosling, it's yeah. not going to be No, I mean, I mean, I'm not even a Gosling fan, per se. It's mm-hmm. just... I mean, he was really good in this movie. He, he was, so... Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit of production history before we go to Beat for Beat. Uh, so initially, this was meant to be directed by Neil Marshall. Uh, Neil is known for his work on the horror film The Descent, uh, and later went on to direct two of the most acclaimed uh, episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, Blackwater and Watchers on the Wall, which were very small-screen epics. Uh, it was also to star Hugh Jackman as the driver. But by 2010, those plans had been scrapped, and, and I'm really thankful. Can you can you even imagine Hugh Jackman in this kind of role? I know Hugh Jackman is a very... Like, he can he can do subdued, He can, but he's, I think he's at his best when he's a little bit more audacious. You know, you even see that in a movie like Les Miserables, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I recognize that he's a good actor. So when he can be more bombastic and unrestrained, which the driver has several moments of that, but... What, what's really imperative about the driver's performance and his character is when he is more subdued. And I just don't know if I could see Hugh Jackman have, balancing that more than the, than the violent part. Okay. Um, so uh, we then move into the Gosling period. Gosling was actually a little bit hesitant to do the movie when offered by the producer. But upon being offered the role, he admitted to being drawn to the very strong character of the unnamed driver and the powerful romance storyline. Gosling actually got to choose the director and said of the eventual choice, Nicholas Wending Refn, it had to be him. There was no other choice. Again, Wait, I, that's what Gosling said? That's what Gosling said. So that's interesting. So how did Gosling get to choose the director? I'm pretty sure that was maybe like a contingency of them doing I, I, There was no rationale for why that happened. So the producers or someone, the studio was like, if we need Gosling. Gosling, what do you need to make this happen? I think that that probably was some, maybe not in those exact words, but I'm assuming it was something like that. Okay. Um, but that, I, I think, again, these guys were, were a great pair. They ended up teaming up together in a movie called Only God Forgives, which was not nearly as, as acclaimed as this, but um, you know, I, I think them together in this environment, something special was made. Uh, so let's jump into post-release. It was, again, as I mentioned earlier, a big financial success. Um, a little bit divisive in terms of audiences. Some people wanted uh, a more conventional action film that the trailer sort of promised them, and uh, that ended up kind of making, like I said, more of a divisive area. But it did well with awards, um, but it was largely overlooked at the Oscars. It had an impressive 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it won Best Director for Nicholas Wending Refn at the Cannes Film Festival. But at the Oscars, it picked up nominations just for sound editing, and that's it. Does that surprise you at all? Because it, it kind of surprises me. A little, but I can see the sound editing for sure. No, I'm, I'm glad it got that the sound editing, but I, I wish that you know Ryan Gosling should have been in the discussion for Best Actor. Carrie Mulligan should have been in the conversation for Best Supporting Actress. So what year was this? This was 2011, which was a, a pretty weak year in films. The Artist won a silent black and white musical, mm. won Best Picture. And looking back, there was there was Hugo, there was The Descendants, there was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, all all fine films, but I don't think any of them. Were, were as powerful as Drive. Yeah, um, I mean... And obviously, obviously the Oscars are very political, but... Do they not like Gosling? Or? No, I just mean, like, they're... Like, obviously, the the artist won because it was a movie about Hollywood. Oh, oh, oh I see. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't pretend to be brushed up on my Oscar history here, but, mm-hmm. um... Yeah, that's, that's surprising. Out, out of the movies that you named, I would definitely... This should at least have been something that they considered for sure. So it was yeah. it nominated or for other things or no? Um, 
Well, it got other nominations outside of the Oscars. Okay. So right, here, if well, no, in the Oscars. I'm no, just sound editing. That's, oh, that's it, it. Did it win it? No. Jesus, I know. All right, that's surprising. Um, so other nominations. Uh, Drive actually did pretty well here in Boston. Uh, our local film society of critics awarded Albert Brooks uh, Best Supporting Actor. Uh, and it was also the winner of Best Use of Music in the film, the latter of which I totally agree with. Mm. Other noteworthy pickups include a top ten mention from the National Board of Review for the year, uh, four nominations at the Independent Spirit Awards, including Best Actor, Best Picture, um, and Best uh, Supporting Actor nomination at the Golden Globes, four BAFTA nominations, which are the British Oscars, uh, including Best Film, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actress for Carrie Mulligan, um, and a very impressive eight nominations at the Critics' Choice Awards. However, it was only awarded one win, uh, Best Action Movie, but no Oscars. Um, so it, it picked up... The, the more it climbed on the prestige totem, the poll, the, the less awards it got. So it did really well with Critics, okay with the BAFTAs and the Independent Spirit Awards, one nomination for acting at the Golden Globes, and then, you know, a technical award nomination at the Oscars. Okay. So I'm thinking, um, you mentioned a girl with a dragon tattoo. Did that just win because it's foreign? Uh, no, that was the remake with um, Ray oh. and Daniel Craig. And then the only thing it was nominated for, for a major award, was um, Best Actress and ended up winning for Best Film Editing. For What's-Her-Face, the main character? Yeah, Liza. L- L- Elizabeth Solander, I think, yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about the history of Drive, um, and now we're ready to jump in, unless you had anything else you want no, to mention. No, let's, let's go for it. Alrighty, so we're talking about the opening scene. Uh, we're introduced to the driver's rules, you know, he's, you know, I don't carry a gun, uh, you have me within that five minute window, anything that happens, I'm yours, anything, either side of that, you're on your own, um, I, I don't like ask any questions, I drive. Uh, so he's, he, we're introduced to his nearly wordless resolve, you know, as soon as he explains those rules and hangs up the phone, he doesn't say a word for the rest of the time. Uh, we also get a quick intro to Brian Cranston's character, Shannon, um, but the rest of the opening scene focuses on the driver's um, first on-screen job as a getaway driver. He weaves effortlessly, effortlessly through those streets of L.A. with two robbers in tow, and a fun fact is that it was filmed primarily by Nicholas Wending Refn within the car's interior. Now, I cut you off earlier. You had something to say about this, this scene, uh, about when, when they're at the stoplight. Oh, yeah. So they're at the four-way intersection, Gosling's sitting across... He has at one, and then the cop is you know not engaged at all. It yeah, doesn't appear to be directly across uh, from him at the other side. This, this tension, like yeah, maybe he would run the red light, but like you know, like even though he they're involved in criminal stuff, like the cops are watching him, so like, like he has to sit there at this red light. So even yeah, that's kind of like a little bit amusing. Mm-hmm. And then there's this baseball game going on in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're listening to the radio, and then something starts to happen. You know, the cop starts following him. They go through all these action sequences, the the car chase and all of that, and then Gosling escapes, and then on the the radio, the guy hits the home run. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect. It's like it's and you're following it for a couple minutes, I think. Yeah. You know? It's I really agree with scene. I like yeah. it. Yeah. No, I appreciate small things like that. You know, without without that that type of editing and that type of like vision for the scene, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have a good scene, you just have a normal car chase and that's not very entertaining. Yeah, and then you know he pulls right into the parking spot. Uh, he t- again, times it perfectly. Is able to to get out of there. One thing I always oh, I never really understood is he ne- he doesn't walk with the crowd. He walks like right past the cops. I don't know if that's his way of being like I got you. And like he, he walks the other way that the crowd is when they're leaving. I don't know if you noticed that. 
but I, I maybe did. I don't remember though. Maybe maybe he's just trying to get one little more rush out of the situation. But yeah, maybe. Um, so, anyways, uh, immediately after that, we get the the intro music uh, where we, where we kind of get this first glimpse at the the synth music of, of Drive. I love it. It's a choice that you might not expect in that very subdued movie. You know, you, you get some of that more atmospheric stuff a little later on, but. Um, this is very like in your face synth music with the guy like kind of having that grungy edited voice. Uh, it's really loud, but it definitely adds some unique character to the movie. Um, it feels a bit Euro inspired too. Um, did you like the music? I mean, I know you said you didn't yeah. remember the the. Song I don't remember Mulligan. the score, no, no. but um, the music for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know how to describe it really. I don't know what type of music that is, but it's it definitely fits with the theme and like. It's kind of slow, and like it, it, it just for whatever reason, it really matches Gosling's personality in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of like cool but confident and incompetent sort of personality that he has. I think that it just matches it. Yeah, and I don't then, know and why. Then in those moments of rage, it's like I wouldn't even say excitement, but like it goes from zero to ten quite quickly. So there's like silence and a very like done is one like what's playing in the 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 first car chase, and then. Immediately after that's over, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I'm just thinking, like, when he's he's sitting there, like, maybe at an intersection, or maybe he's, like, just driving, like, contemplating, he's calculating his mind, you have the music that kind of goes along with that, like, yeah. slow, mm-hmm. like, but, you know, but sort of uh, like intentional present, music. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, like, it, it's sort of, like, he's calculating. Yes, totally agree. Making decisions, so... Yeah. So after that, the opening credits, we, we see a really quick intro uh, to Irene. They don't speak to each other, but immediately after that, they go to his other job, uh, where he's a Hollywood stunt driver. Um, he's putting on a mask. Uh, I mean, little things that I just didn't even pick up on until we, we uh, rewatched this a few days ago, a few weeks ago. Um, he's totally immune to the humor around him. A stunt coordinator goes up to him and says they need his signature in case he dies or gets maimed. And he's just totally unfazed. Like, he just signs it. And then after the crash, he just does that little thumbs up. He just doesn't care. Yeah, he just doesn't care. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's a cool aspect of his character. And, you know, I, I like how this movie has little moments that you can still kind of pick up on, even after watching it ten times, which I totally yeah. have before. Yeah. I've got to say, I mean, I, I love that the aspect of Gosling's character. I, I've talked about it a few times at this point now, and I'll continue to talk about it. <laughs> Just it's so refreshing mm. to have somebody so chill and just you know it's like you know what I mean yeah it's like it's hard to explain but mm. anyway we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go along yeah um, so after that he he meets Irene um, officially and her son Benicio at the Big Six Market which I 100% went to go visit while I was in LA last week because it was the closest movie location that I could find in the area. Uh, you didn't end up going to Disturbia House, did you? I did not. That was It was an hour and a half with traffic, and it would have like, been like... It would have been like 100 bucks, and it just... It, I would have done it. I would have done it. If, if I go out there again and I rent a car, because they're like... LA's huge. They're like, I wanted to go see Terminator 2 locations, but those were way north. Um, I wanted to go see some stuff from like Freaky Friday, which was like more out west, and it, it just was all over the place. But if I had more time... Um, I definitely wanted to go see it. So next time I'm out there, I will rent a car and do all the movie locations my heart desires. You'll probably be out there again before I'm ever there for my first time. Yeah. So at the Big Six Market, where Irene's car breaks down, this is where we finally get that formal introduction to Carrie Mulligan and Ryan Gosling, Irene and the driver in this movie. 
I really love them together, specifically Carrie Mulligan. I think, you know, she, in, in a film where Ryan Gosling clearly gives the best performance, she gives a second best performance. I don't mean to knock that at all. I just, I give a lot of props and kudos to her uh, for such a fantastic performance. Only getting a couple nominations doesn't really give her her performance justice. I know you don't you don't like her character that much though. Oh, it's not that I don't like her character. I just I think that her character is is meant to be not an independent character. Like if you had a, char- a movie just about her character, it wouldn't be an interesting movie. It's 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 her I would relationship love to see with drive from it, her perspective. Well, sh- sure, but that still involves Gosling. My point is she's interesting because of her relationship with Gosling. Otherwise, she's just a single mother with a terrible boyfriend and or husband or whatever he is. I don't mm-hmm. know, but you know what I'm saying? Yes and no. And when we get more into the part where Standard gets out of prison, I'm happy to talk more about that. Um, but I still, I just never saw it. Yeah, maybe there's some more to it, but... And then there's, you know, the, the first scene where they, they go into the hotel together. Or not the hotel, the her apartment. That's where we get that, that music playing. Um I kind of feel like playing it for you now, just so you know what I'm talking about. But it's where he's like, where do you work? She's like, oh, Receda Boulevard. Um, so it's that little introduction to their theme, which I like a lot. So after that, we're introduced to a storyline that personally I was never a huge fan of, which is ironic because it's kind of the driving force, no pun intended, of the movie. But it's it's Shannon working with Bernie and the driver to get that car ready for the race. Yeah, I didn't get that. <clears throat> it, it, it is a little bit sloppily intertwined with the crime stuff that happens later in the movie. Um, but, you know, this is it's important. It's a huge part of it. Um, so Shannon wants to work with his crime boss, Bernie, uh, to lease out the... He calls him the kid, the driver, who will drive the car if Bernie will finance the car. Um, and they'll make a killing. Um, and Not a killing. More puns. Uh, and then Nino is the one who he also, he also gets some, some buy-in from as well. Uh, Nino's Pizza. I like how it's always dead. I mean, they're, they're making it pretty obvious that it's a front. So I, I, that's another small detail that, you know, when I was a little younger, I didn't, I didn't necessarily pick up on. But the more I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah. I was, I was like, why isn't anyone at this pizzeria? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a front. And now we see the driver in action in his third job, mechanic. There's one moment where you actually see some personality from his character where Irene goes up to Shannon and was talking about everything. Shannon says something like on the side about Irene and the driver and the driver just smiles and goes nope and, and walks away. I don't know if you remember that or not, but... It's just no, but I can picture it. Yeah, a, a, a lot, lots of subtlety in this movie, and I'm calling Wait, who, it out here. Who says that? Shannon says something, and the driver about smiles. about about Irene well, and the yeah, driver. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't remember specifically, but I, I kind of picture that. Yeah, love little moments like that, um, and again, a prime example of the subtlety in this movie. Uh, and Shannon offers the driver services up to drive Irene home. And this is a, a really wonderful scene. You know, this is one of the more beautiful scenes in the movie. Uh, it's clearly showing that driver as the real human being, as the song sort of says, hanging out with Benicio, Irene for the afternoon, driving through the L.A. River, the sun setting, there's there's flares in the camera. It's, it's, it's beautifully shot. It's, it's very endearing. Uh, and it's it sort of implies what, what's going on between them uh, mm-hmm. with, without any dialogue. It's just, it's just music and cinematography and acting. Yeah. No, I definitely like that. I mean, I'm always a fan of any time when you can have something explained to you without exposition or even without dialogue, mm-hmm. if possible. I just think it's really cool when you yeah. pull that off. And they, they and pull they, it off so many times pull, in this movie. Absolutely, they really do. Mm. Um, I mean, I really can't remember a single line that Karen Logan says. 
Carrie Mulligan. I mean, I'm sure she does this. Say things. There's definitely a couple. Of them. I'm going to point them out in the second because there's there's really not much that happens now in between the major scene. There's uh, you know a little bit of more stuff with Bernie and the driver where he's talking about how they they broke uh, Shannon's pelvis and things like that. Uh, we do find out that Standard has been released from prison and they have to have that welcome back party for him. Oh yeah. And this is where you get a little bit more of that interesting stuff with Irene. You see the cutting between the driver's face and Irene's face during the party, and Irene's face is. It's not angry, but it's it's more than disappointed that that standard sort of when standard gives his toast, um, you know she's she's definitely not having much of it. And so when the driver goes out to the hallway and sees Irene, this is a line that I like about them too, where uh, she says sorry about the noise. The driver who's you know taking this trash out, and the driver gives a little smirk and says I was going to call the cops. And you know Irene gets more serious and says I wish you would. So that I think sort of speaks to the the depth of her character more. Like she she's not. She doesn't want to be in this. You know, we find out a little bit later on that she first met Standard when she was what fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. She she was young, mm-hmm. and you know, this this one mistake that she made is now defining her life. And she's trying to be a good mother for for Benicio, but she doesn't. She's not happy, and you really see it, it, the movie does need those moments to explain why. Yeah. Because Standard, even though he does sort of. He does sort of seem like he's he's not a terrible person. He's he's got some justified anger at, at the driver for hitting on his wife in, in the scene where they're in the hallway. Very awkward encounter. Also, get this. I recognize this for the first time. His name is Standard. Mm-hmm. Driving pun names. Get it? His name's not like, literally Standard. His name is Standard Gabriel. There's no there's no way that's his first name. It wouldn't surprise me if his name was Standard. Well, even if it's his nickname. His name is Standard. Yeah. In a movie about driving. For a reason. Standard automatic. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Um, so, I always wonder, always, what kind of name is Standard? And It's not. <laughs> it's not our first name. It's I, I want to look this up because I am, you know, I am fully convinced that his name is Standard Gabriel. So, after that scene where the driver is sort of put in his place by, by Standard, he goes to this diner. Uh, one moment that I, I want to talk about here, too, is he's at a diner. Uh, and the man at the bar comes up and was talking about the heist that they pulled off, asking if he remembers him. And the driver turns to him and says, how about this? Shut your mouth or I'll kick your teeth down your throat and I'll shut it for you. For me, this is just kind of showing the first of what ends up being many of, you know, the driver's impulsive outbursts. And again, much more subdued here. It could have gotten a lot uglier. He gives him the fair warning, but he's, he's got a temper. And we're, this he is has the a first- temper, but it's a very... Cool and collected temper. Yes, of course, but not for long. But this is the first sign of that temper that we see. Right. I mean, I think throughout the entire movie, he's very much in control, at least of himself. And that is one demonstration of it. Because he could literally just assault this guy. But, you know, he's in public. He's not going to do that. One, t- We're going to jump a little bit ahead here, but when, when Shannon is telling him that, um, called Nino and explained that he doesn't want anything to happen to Irene, he just wants to give the money back, he flips out and grabs Shannon. He's like, you told her about Irene? So he's not... Yeah, well, he gets progressively less restrained when more things become at risk. Right, well, also things are getting out of control. Yeah, right? exactly. Normally, he's very, very much yes, common in control. but he's got his, he's got his breaking point. Uh, and so now we kind of right, we make our way to the more action oriented part of the movie. The driver returns home, is parking his car in the garage, and he sees you know a bloody standard standing by the elevator. It's it's the first instance of violence. We've never seen violence in this movie until now, and the violence isn't seen, uh, but very much implied. 
Let's talk about the violence for a sec because, again, it's, it's there, but it's rare. You know, we, we see it a lot in this movie. And some people have said that it's a little bit too gratuitous. I think it is, but again, they, they know when to pack the punch and it's not in your face all the time throughout the movie. What, what were your like, general thoughts towards no, the it's, violence? It's really movie? not at all. I mean, there are a few things that stick out in my mind. I, in my mind, I don't think of this as being a, a constantly violent movie. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, there are a few sort of shocking moments yeah. throughout. But those are those stand out to you, so, and they actually have an impact. So it's not just violence for the sake of violence. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people have made minor comparisons to Pulp Fiction, how it, it's all about the dialogue and the atmosphere, and then all of a sudden Marvin gets shot in the face or, or yeah. something like no, that. No, I see. I, I can see that, but I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not, not like tonally, but... Just comparing the violence in general. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is over the top with violence, but it's like... That's a different story. That's that's completely over the top. This yeah. is dramatically over the top. Stylistically over the top. In, it's in a point, different but way it's not fiction. always there, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, so, the standard explains his conflict to the driver. You know, after accepting that initial offer for protection during his, his stint in prison, the debt sort of racks up beyond control, and the protesters will only let it go permanently if he can do that job for them to hold up uh, a pawn shop um, out near the valley. So there's this really nice dinner scene where everything seems to be at peace. Standard raises toast to the driver and Irene and Benicio all there, and everything sort of seems to be all, all well and good, and everyone on the same page. Um, after making that deal with Cook and Blanche at, um, shoot, what's the name of the park? At that park that I was also at when I went to Los Angeles. Um, so there's a park in LA that I was at. Uh, and it's a real thing. And that's where he says, you know, this is, it's, it's done after he finishes this, his, his debt is clean. You never bother him and his family again. So... At the pawn shop robbery, things start to look suspicious when that other car shows up. Standard and his accomplice, Blanche, uh, are about to drive away, but Standard meets his unfortunate fate by getting shot in the back by the pawn shop owner. Followed by the... I ha- One of the only two driving scenes in the movie, like chase scenes. Um, what do you think of this car chasing? Because... Uh, I mean, it's it's different than the first one for sure, but this is like mm-hmm. the only I would say traditional car chase scene. Yeah, no, this one seems more Fast and Furious to me for mm-hmm. sure. No, it was good. I mean, I to be honest, like we talked about this, rewatched this movie a couple weeks ago. At this point, I don't remember the details of it. I just remember it that I liked it. Mm-hmm. It was good. I have no idea that says good car chase. Gotcha. And for the record, it was MacArthur Park. So after the pawn shop robbery and that car chase here's where it gets a bit too complex for me um so you know i I loved the car chase i thought it was great scene i think it's good to have in a movie called drive you need a scene like that um and i don't think it was unwelcome i think it was i think it fit really well so i'm glad they had it in there um but jumping ahead a bit into the hotel room here's where things get a bit too complex for me I always have trouble wrapping my head around what exactly was up with the other car and what role it had with with Nino. Um, And it's always sort of been a stretch from getting Cook and Blanche and their gang to the whole storyline of Nino and Shannon and then back to the driver. Did that make sense to you when you were watching or was that like complicated at Mm -hmm. all? I think I kind of ignored it, to Mm -hmm. be honest with you. Like I understood that, um, and this is something we'll we'll get into in a sec, but um, like... I understand um, why 
Nino wanted to steal uh, the the money, and I understand why the driver was involved, but it's just the bridge in between that with, with too many players was always a little bit too um, too complex. So I wonder if there would be a way to streamline that without sacrificing any of the characters. I don't know. I mean, it seems like they're trying to tie all these different characters together and make it sort of one cohesive story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't... Right. I, I just like the action in it, but I don't remember how it plays in it. No, I'm talking about, like, after that, like, in the hotel room, where, um, like, there was another car, and it just got a little too complicated, but that's... I think that's really, like, my only flaw with the movie, is that bridging that gap. Um, but anyways, after admitting that the other car was planned, Blanche gets a very, very bloody death... Um, and the the driver manages to ward off two assailants. And this is the only time he ever kills somebody with a gun. Every other time he kills somebody with um, you know a car or or something else like that or a knife. But this is the only time he ever kills someone with a gun. And as somebody who does not carry a gun, I felt that was worth noting. Um, he does not carry a gun. Okay. He, he says that in the movie. He's like, I don't carry a gun. Oh, I thought you meant you. No, <laughs> oh, um, I do not carry a gun. Um, it's Massachusetts, you're not allowed to carry a gun. In Boston, you're not allowed to carry a gun. Um, so, after that, he, he goes to visit Cook. Um, more violence, involving a hammer this time, and another bullet, but no gun. Uh, we also learn that Nino is somehow tied in with all this as well, when he asks, whose money do I have? And th- this is a cool scene, too. Cook busts his hand, and the driver makes the deal, says, I'm going to offer you just a clean getaway, come pick your money up, we're going to part ways, forget about it, and you know nothing, nothing happens. Uh, and Nino is not too thrilled about it, and instead of taking the deal, he sends a hitman to Irene and the driver's apartment. This is Irene and the driver's final scene together, and dear God, this scene gets me every single time. You know, first off, you see the scene where he's talking to Irene. He doesn't look at her at all. He, he offers to go with them, give them the money. And we were talking a little earlier about this. You portrayed him as, for the most part, the epitome of masculinity, which for the most part I agree with. But this one scene, is he's almost like a child. You know, he doesn't really know how to act. He doesn't understand that what she's feeling and, you know, she's not necessarily mad at him, but she she is mad at, like, the, the whole idea of what he's proposing and that he was somehow involved. And that, that is very childlike from an otherwise masculine mature character. This is the conversation immediately before the elevator. And this is my favorite scene. This scene is filmmaking at its finest. The transition from this passionate kiss to this passionate kill is done in such a stylized and and beautiful way. The lights dim, the music picks up before, you know, this quick second of silence. They look at each other and then it just goes right back into overdrive with this curb stomp. Yeah. Uh, And it's you have the definitely have the contrast between the emotion of their relationship going on, and that's very like slow. It's, it's not slow motion or anything like that. But it is in slow motion, yeah. Oh, it is just just to an extent. Okay, but anyway, so it, but regardless, it's it's slow. It's like you're focusing just on them. It's like almost like nothing else is going yes. on, and then suddenly, like, and but there's more to say about it than just that. But and then suddenly, it's a uh, quick action. Yep. Kill this guy. And everything mm-hmm. changes. Yeah, and it, it it stems all from the, you know the same moment. You know there there are some people who just like the kiss part, some people that just like the kill part. But it's they're both imperative to what makes that scene so wonderful because both are are the both are what no pun intended here drives the driver to do what he's doing. It, it's it's the same idea that drives him to both both kiss her and what he knows will be the last time that he ever sees her, and then and then kill in in her in her honor and trying to save her life. But just such such a 
absolutely wonderful scene and, and moment. Um, and then as she backs out of the elevator, which I, I love that shot, you know, just it, she's it's perfectly centered and she's just looking in horror as the doors close back up. And he, he looks up with almost a sort of apologetic look. It's like a puppy looking up, seeing like, what did I do wrong? Or like, am I in trouble? Um, and he's, he's just covered in blood. He, he has that that demeanor about him. He's, he's like, will you ever forgive me? It's it's sad, but it's it's just so beautiful. I love, love, love that scene. I love that scene so much. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a good scene. Um, so making our way towards the end of the movie now, uh, the driver meets up with Shannon, uh, and we learn that, as Andy Bernard said when he was playing the kid in Sweeney Todd, it all connects. <laughs> How did it all come back to Nino? So we find out that Nino wanted to steal from the East Coast mob, so he set up a dummy robbery with Standard where they would get ripped off and the money would go back to Nino. So kind of makes sense, but still like a couple missing or thin, thin, thin strands. Uh, and now, it, you know, Shannon and uh, the driver need to go according to Bernie and Nino, but we also realize that Cook has to go. And this, I think, is the most violent scene. You know, there's there's the hammer scene, which is violent. There's the, the motel scene, this is violent. This is the most violent scene in the movie because, you know, Cook takes a fork to the eyeball and then gets stabbed three times with a butcher's knife. I think the curb sounds more violent, but okay. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Well, I think, this is more violent. I think the curb sounds more maybe violent, but this is more graphic. Because there's, yeah, yeah. like, you don't see, like, you only see the foot for, like, a split second going to the guy's face. Whereas you see, like, every single time that knife goes into that neck. And it's just so... Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I guess I'm just not phased by that kind of stuff. At this yeah. Point. Um... And then, of course, Bernie kind of callously says, now it's your job to clean up after me. Right. Um, so this is the whole back and forth thing. Uh, he goes up to Shannon and realizes that he has to kill Shannon. So Bernie takes out that knife and kills Shannon. We say goodbye to Brian Cranston after Bernie goes, you know, I was getting excited about this. My name on a car. Yeah, I, I really do believe in that moment he's got a bit of respect for Shannon. He's like, you know, I, I respect you. I wish we could have worked this out. I'm sorry that it's come down to this, but it like I think we both know that it can't go on any further. And that's not to right. diminish his scumminess, but in that moment, I think he is... I don't want to say feeling sympathy, but I think there is a, a thin layer of respect if yeah. you could you justify that. You can see that, that. With, the, with the handshake. Yeah. You know, and he's killing him in the handshake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's goodbye to Brian Cranston. What do you think of Brian Cranston in this movie? I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely in contrast with the other characters. He talks a lot. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. I was, I was looking this up too, and the driver initially had more lines. So to counter that, when they took a lot of his lines away, they gave Brian Cranston the ability to ad lib and improv. So a lot of Brian mm-hmm. Cranston work in this movie was impromptu, right? Um, which yeah. I think very, works very well with Brian Cranston. He's such a talented actor, and just give him that ability to run with it. No, yeah, it's just the contrast is funny. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have this silence and this subtlety in the rest of the movie, and then he's mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah, I like it. Uh, and just even the little things, too, like the whole backstory about him being a, a, a cheap guy, and so that's why he pissed off Nino, uh, and then Nino broke his hip and pelvis, and that's why he's limping. And you see him limping before the start of the movie, or at the start of the movie, and then you get that backstory about why he's limping. Um, so... Great work from Brian Cranston, great physical acting, great improv, overall good performance from him, but that's as expected because it's Brian Cranston. But this is also a scene for um, Albert Brooks, you know, a great moment for him as well. And I mentioned this a bit earlier, but a lot of people were expecting, out of everyone in this movie, 
We're expecting him to get the Oscar nomination. What do you think about that? Because, you know, I, I personally don't understand why he would get the nomination. A lot of people, when I was reading up on it, were saying it was because he was a much more comedic actor. He was the voice of Marlon in Finding Nemo, and they, they knew him for his comedy, and they weren't expecting such a dark and, and cold turn from somebody who's relatively comedic. Okay, which one is this? Uh, he's the one who kills Shannon. Oh. Um... Do you, do you, I mean, do you see him? Do you see him as one of the, like the better performances in this movie? No, I mean definitely not. Yeah, I don't really even remember. I can't picture him right now. Yeah, yeah, but I think that just goes to show how I don't want to say unmemorable he is, but yeah, just not, just not the best. Not no, he wasn't bad at all. He was fine, but I just never, I never understood the hype for him to get an, an Oscar nomination for this movie, but, especially when you have the other characters. Yes, doing so absolutely. Well. Um, so the driver discovers that Shannon is dead and he retaliates by killing Nino. And, you know, the, again, this, this, this scene where the music is played so intricately, you've got it's almost like an Italian opera playing extraordinarily. And the driver looks in as there's like slow motion laughing in Nino's pizzeria, uh, and then just boom crash onto the beach and he just goes and drowns Nino, uh, a very, very highly stylized scene. He's, he's even wearing that, that mask that he wore as a stuntman. And then after that, he gets that call from Bernie, and they sort of decide to, to put an end to it. You know, there's there's only three players left. Let's let's end this. So they meet at the Great Wall restaurant, where Bernie offers safety for Irene, but not to him. Which again, he's being flat honest. Like I can't I can't promise you safety. I'm not going to sit here and promise you safety. And we see that intercut where I think the driver realizes at that moment he's going to be double crossed. And I think yeah. kind of having that interplay in between shows that he's like, I know exactly what's going to happen yeah, here. No, again, the editing in this makes it. You don't have to have the explanation of what's going on. You can see with just the editing and mm-hmm. the acting exactly what's going through Gosling's mind and also the other guy's mind as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's perfect. I mean, that's actually my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, towards the end where the, the intercut? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a wonderful scene too. And, you know, you, you get Bernie stabbing the driver and then the driver turning around stabbing Bernie. And you got to wonder which one's going to live. And they, I mean, it's clear which one's going to live, but they show it in a shadow format to add a, another layer of mystery in you know, this very neo-noir film. Bernie is presumed dead and the driver is presumed to drive another day. And what I like about that too is when, when you show the driver driving off, he just leaves the money. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, he doesn't care about Yeah, that. it just shows the consistency of his character. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean... He doesn't return home. You know, there's that little scene where Irene goes and kind of is, is ideally hoping that he's back at the apartment, um, but no show. Right. Um, and the driver drives off, and that's that's Drive. That's everything we, we saw and noticed in Drive. Any any parting words for you on the film, on, on what... No, I can, say, um, I can just say that I, I see the imperfect ending that you referred to. I like that sort of ending. I mean, as we talked about before, it's just... You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be the fairy tale ending. Yes, it's like in a way you're not satisfied with it, but mm-hmm. it seems like that's what really happened in real life. You know? Yeah. All right, you want to give this your beer on the wall? Yeah, really? I'm just gonna give Drive a four and a half out of five bottles of beer on the Good wall. Good man. Um, Good man. I like the editing, the music, um, the acting on Gosling's part, especially. I think the pacing was a little bit off. There are some plot points that I, I didn't necessarily like, and then at the end, there's it, it seemed like kind of patchwork um, with the, the plot at the mm-hmm. end. But, you know, that's all forgivable. It's still super entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah a lot of good aspects of the movie. A lot of, like, technical things, too. I'm very happy to hear you, you rated that very highly. Um, really happy to hear that. You know, I would have to say that this is probably in my top 100. Maybe, or maybe, 
Maybe, maybe in my top 50, but definitely in my top 100. You know, when it comes to best movies of the decade, this is this is definitely up there for for sure. You know, I've got I've got nothing but appreciation for this movie. I, I think that if you are big into movies and you haven't seen Drive, you'd be hard pressed to find a movie released in the past eight years that does as much with with subdued acting performances and with music and with you know the, the editing and with stylization and with atmosphere and it's it's proof that you can do so much in film with so little and at least giving off the appearance that there's there's so little going on and having the the breadth of the iceberg sort of underneath the surface so absolutely nothing but love for this movie and i i do hope that it, it grows and continues to find an audience and viewership um josh hutcherson actually named it one of his favorite movies of all time so i'm just gonna throw that oh, out there boy, too. what a treat oh Peter loves this movie um, but yeah, I, I love this movie. It's it's one of my favorites of the decade, one of my favorites of all time. And I, I really do think that if you have not watched this movie, you're doing yourself a disservice to see how a really great quality film can be made in the this decade, which I, I, I would argue is difficult to find, to be honest. So do yourself a favor and go watch Drive if you have not already. I think that's it. Charlie, what do you think of your beer? Um, it was good. It's... Uh... It's pretty hoppy for for such low alcohol content, but it's good beer. What about you? Drinking it? I'm still drinking it. I you know I had a really good gut reaction with this when it was cold. I think the better stouts get better as they warm. This is one that I think it was better when it was colder. Like the first sip I took of that was ice cold. Um, think stouts get better as they get warmer. Yeah, well, more like room temperature um, or warms in the glass, but. This was this was definitely better at the start of it, and now I'm trying to finishing it up. But yeah, I would definitely recommend Gunner's Daughter. Um, it's hard to find a, a mass distributed peanut butter stout as well, so get your hands on that if you uh, if you got a chance. Cool. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the A to Z Movie Show. We will see you in a couple weeks' time if this cadence that we've set for ourselves is going to contribute. Um, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at the A to Z Movie Show. You can email us at the A to Z Movie Show at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook if that's your dig. And please, 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 we'd really appreciate it if you just take two seconds and subscribe to us on your preferred platform. Give us a quick rating. Um, help us grow our viewership. Share with a friend. Um, you know, help us spread the A to Z word. And we'd really be quite appreciative. And that's all, guys. Get we will see you next time on the A to Z Movie Show. 